0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. As always, I'm your host, David. And as always, we're brought to you by 1 800 Contacts and Lingo Eyewear. Go to www.liingoeyewear.com/light the fight and use promo code Light the Fight for $30 off your very first pair of prescription glasses and prescription sunglasses. You can get the types of models you want, different types of fashion. You do it all through the app. It's amazing. I've gotten glasses from them. Whenever I want to read better, drive at night is when I really need them. But also, if I just want to look smart and intelligent and feel all professional, I put on a pair of Lingo eyeglasses, and they also work very well. So check them out at www.lingoeyewear.com backslash the fight. So for today's episode, I'm going to talk to you guys about something that I actually want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this thing. But first, I want to describe to you what it is. Recently, in one of my conversations with a client, they brought this back up to me because I talked to them about this many, many years ago. And when they brought it up to me, they just happened to say it. it wasn't anything like that was really important to the conversation we we're having. They just said that they were talking to a friend. Their friend was going through a hard time because this friend was in an abusive relationship. Their friend kept on coming to them, asking them for help, suggestions and ideas. They believed that their friend knew exactly what to do to get out of this relationship, but like a moth to the flame, their friend kept on going back. And there's a lot of other reasons to, you know, stay with someone. But in this type of a abusive situation, they were really worried about the friend, and the friend just couldn't really wrap their head around why they kept on going back to the same person when they had already been broken up for a while. they had already separated, but they kept on going back. Excuse me. So they told their friend about this thing called learned helplessness that they would learned from me quite some time ago. Now, I did not invent this. I did not make this up, but it is something in conversations when relevant I'll share with my clients. So she reminded me of this and I thought, you know, this would be a good podcast episode because a lot of you listening to the podcast have things that have happened to you in your past that for some reason has created patterns and habits of us responding or reacting in a certain way when logically we know better, when we believe we deserve better, but we're caught in this really weird situation where we continue to go back to the thing that hurts us, the thing that is not working for us. Now, when I talk about learned helplessness, I use this in a very broad and general um, way of uh, speaking about it. If you want to get very detailed about it, there's been lots of research on it throughout the years. There's been a lot of people who have said it's kind of like the core of depression. Then other people argue depression is more complicated than that. I just want to talk to you about it. And then after I explain to you what it is, how it affects you, I'm going to ask you a question about what you could be doing to change any learned helplessness that you may have developed in the course of your lifetime. So let me start off by reading something here online that talks about the gentleman who coined the term and who wrote the first book about it. And I'll just this just gives you a little bit of information and background for you to understand what it is and also how it came about. And then I will give you the self-reflection to do a little self-assessment on are there some areas in your life where you may fall into this category of struggling with learned helplessness. So the theory of learned helplessness was conceptualized and developed by American psychologist Martin E.P. Seligman. I think it's Seligman. Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania in the late 1960s and 70s. While conducting experimental experimental research on classical conditioning, Seligman inadvertently discovered that dogs that had received unavoidable electric shocks failed to take action in subsequent situations, even those in which escape or avoidance was in fact possible, whereas dogs that had not received the unavoidable shocks immediately took action in subsequent situations. The experiment was replicated with human subjects, using loud noise as opposed to electric shocks, yielding similar results. Seligman coined the term learned helplessness to describe the expectation that outcomes are uncontrollable. Learned helplessness has since become a basic principle of behavioral theory, demonstrating that prior learning can result in a drastic change in behavior and seeking to explain why individuals may accept and remain passive in negative situations, despite their clear ability to change them. In his book, Helplessness, this was the book I read in graduate school, which which I learned about this in the first place, Seligman uh, Seligman argued that as a result of these negative expectations, other consequences may accompany the inability or unwillingness to act, including low self-esteem, chronic failure, sadness, and physical illness. The theory of learned helplessness also has been applied to many conditions and behaviors, including clinical depression, aging, domestic violence, poverty, discrimination, parenting, academic achievement, drug abuse, and alcoholism. So the first time I had heard about learned helplessness, um, I was taking a class in graduate school that was talking about relational violence, and that's when it first came up. I was so interested in it, um, I got the book and I read the book. And even though I read the book a long time ago, I picked up the nuggets and the basics of the concept. Um, the, the study that I was doing at the particular time in graduate school it had to do with a woman that was in a physically abusive relationship with a husband. She went to court. They gave us what's called a vignette. So they give us a scenario situation. They tell us the story and they tell us to, to try to diagnose it, to try to break down the different parts of the story. What's going on here And the answer to it was this, this woman was struggling or was suffering from learned helplessness. So in the story, they talked about how the husband had isolated her from all of her family, from her friends. So what that meant was over, you know, a number of years when she was in need of help and she would go to her mom, they would demonize the mom, say the mom's a horrible person. You know, just make it so that if she ever went and talked to her mom that she'd be punished by him. Maybe not physically in this vignette, but she was punished by him in some way, shape, or form. At times, the relationship got physical. He had laid hands on her. She tried to leave and, and take off, but she would always keep on coming back. Her friends, her social group, they got really tired of listening to her. Again, if she ever wanted to hang out with people... Um, He would, you know, really make it difficult for her. He'd make her feel bad if she left the kids. So him keeping her away from family members, friends, and loved ones really isolated her to that he was the main person in her life. So if she wanted to have financial freedom, so because she was a stay-at-home mom, because he was working all the time, if she wanted money to buy groceries or whatever, she had to jump through all these hoops. If she did not do all the things that he wanted her to do, then she would be punished by, you know, well, here's 20 bucks when she needed 200 for groceries. So this type of control, this type of negative behavior, her being mistreated and, and being physically, psychologically, and emotionally abused would always result into her wanting to get away, but she had learned to be helpless to that situation. In the vignette, she'd went to therapy, she'd talked to the therapist, she'd confessed about the things she was struggling with, They're asking us as a therapist to see how would you help this woman? What would you do? And so when I learned about this through this first vignette, it really hit home for me because this reminded me of a friend of mine that she went through a similar situation. Now, I had heard about this after the fact, but when she told me about the situation and she confessed to me that this is what she was going through because we lost track after high school and I I wasn't really up to date with her life. And years later, when she told me about all this, I was so surprised to hear this because she seemed so confident. She seemed so capable. She seemed like she had everything together. But when she described all the details of it, it really broke my heart. It made me think, like, wow, like, this is a real thing. Like, I didn't know someone could be broken down psychologically over time to the point where they learned and their identity became they're a victim and they're helpless and they're damned if they're due, damned if they don't. And so personally for me, hearing that, learning about this in graduate school, it really stuck with me over the years. Now, not every client that I've ever talked to have I brought this up with, but the clients that I have brought this up with, I've always helped them figure out where did the origin of this come from? How did this begin? Could they trace it to something in their past with the parents, with a loved one, some sort of bad relationship that they're in? And could they make a connection between that and something that they're currently struggling with? A common thing that it's talked about in that article that I read and and I've seen in my practice is when I talk to people that were struggling with addiction, uh, their helplessness to the addiction um, was always very evident and very apparent. Now, some people um, really um, buy into the medical model, which is the model of uh, addiction is a disease. And whether people believe it's a disease or it's not a disease, the work is still very similar to what you have to do to overcome said addiction. And understanding that you've learned to be helpless to the addiction and that it's something that's conditioned you over time is something that can give you a great bit of insight into how to look at this from a problem versus, or I should say, how to look at this in a solution scenario. To identify the problem, to identify that you're helpless and to be frustrated and try to make sense of how you got to that place in the first place that usually consumes a lot of people's time and attention and energy. So as a clinician, as a practitioner of mental health, I was always trying to help people identify enough of the problem of how it was created, how it happened and what the current situation is giving you, but not stay too long in that place, in that, in that space, because that can get pretty, you can go down a lot of different rabbit holes. As I always say, you don't want to try to make sense of nonsense. However, when you're conditioned to be helpless, sometimes you find yourself looking for more and more answers when really action is your best friend. Having a plan, identifying one, two, maybe three basic steps you can do to work towards that plan. Now, I haven't had a lot of experience, meaning it hasn't been one of my specialties, working with women who have been uh, victims of domestic violence, but I have had a a little bit of experience with that. And with the women that I worked with, this was a common terminology that would come up a lot. And they'd be taught this at different agencies and you know, different support groups. They'd talk about learned helplessness a lot. And constantly talking about the actions and the steps that you have control over and working towards those steps was always the best process. in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is... Like In my opinion, it's like basically the main therapy out there because all other therapies, well, not all of them, but a lot of therapies uh, lend itself to cognitive behavioral therapy or they have a lot of similarities. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy, you don't want someone to completely avoid anything that's ever hurt them or harmed them. In fact, you actually want people to be exposed to similar situations and then react or I like to say respond differently to take the knowledge and wisdom that they've learned going through the difficult times, when they get triggered and when they get close to a similar situation or they're put in a scenario that resembles their past hurt and pain and perhaps trauma that they've been through, that at those moments, that's the moment where they can make the change. So you have to have, uh, the analogy I always like to use is, you have to have the splinter at the surface for it to get out. I mean, if you leave a splinter inside your finger, You know, it's a chance it could be infected and could get worse. And, you know, it happened to me one time. And so you have to, as painful as it is, you have to dig it out. A lot of times digging out the psychological, mental, and emotional abuse and the trauma that we've been through can be extraordinarily painful. But I always caution that it's more painful to try to dig it out years later after the fact when we've built up lots of fail-safes, lots of walls and things to protect that thing from being exposed or brought to the surface. When in reality, exposure, meaning putting yourself in situations either intentionally or if you happen to be in another relationship or another situation that triggers you, that brings you back to that time, these are the things that are going to help you learn that that is what you went through. It's not who you are. Maybe something that happened to you in your childhood. Um, You experienced some things that made you prime and, and a perfect person to develop, learned, helplessness in other relationships. Then as an adult, you develop learned helplessness. You become in an unhealthy relationship. You can identify and trace it back to your childhood, but you need to quickly take action and understand what exactly is a plan and some basic steps I can do right now to get me in the course of direction that will lead me to happiness. Sometimes it's a long process. A few of the women I've worked with in the past that were in very abusive relationships, it took them years to get the the financial stability, to save their money, to do the things that they needed to do. But the first steps were always the hardest because the fear of how could I get out of my current situation when your current situation is all that you've been thinking and feeling about, you can't imagine if you do get out of it where you'd even start. For many people, it's very similar, and I'm not trying to minimize it so it's just this easy, but a lot of people stay in relationships, so a mild version or... It's not always a mild version, but what can be a mild version of learned helplessness is being in a relationship that you're not happy in. Maybe it's not an abusive relationship, but it's just not going the way you want it to. And, and it's a relationship that makes you feel bad about yourself. Well, if you stay in that relationship solely, or I shouldn't say solely, if one of the main reasons why you stay in that relationship is fear that will you be able to meet someone after you get out of this relationship? Will you be able to survive financially? Will you be able to start a new life? And if those things sound too scary, if they sound like they're too much of an unknown and that you don't even want to deal with that, a lot of times people can stay in relationships that the expiration date is far gone, meaning it's far past the expiration date. All the signs and all the... All the flags, red flags have been up there that they need to leave the relationship. There's no more love in the relationship. There's not a partnership in the relationship. Now, of course, in extreme situations, learned helplessness is gonna be even more